The Life and Writings of James Parnell by Henry Calloway Part 3 After the court session, James Parnell thought it right to send a letter to the judge, in which, after complaining of the prejudice and injustice which he had manifested towards him, he says, Consider what advantage it will be to you when you come to give an account before the Lord God of heaven and earth, the judge of all, the living and the dead. If you now have power to keep this body in prison, or take my life, which I am made freely willing to give up rather than to deny the truth of my God. And if I should pay one penny for the liberty of my body in this cause, it would be as much as if I paid the whole fine, which you have unjustly laid upon me. For by so doing I should acknowledge myself a transgressor where I am not guilty. And also, a purchased liberty would be a bondage to my spirit, but the liberty which I have, even under your bonds, is a bondage to you. And this liberty which I feel, you cannot rob me of by all that you can do, for it is the free gift of God. In Colchester Castle, James Parnell had now to undergo a series of cruel persecutions of an amount and character perhaps scarcely ever surpassed. The jailer, rigidly carried out the directions of the judge not to allow his friends to come and see him as far as suited his own convenience or fancy. James Parnell's youth, his character as a living minister of the gospel, his persevering diligence, and the sufferings he had already undergone excited great interest in the minds of friends on his behalf. Many came from considerable distances to visit him in prison, but very few were allowed to see him. Those who did were obliged to purchase the permission of the jailer, and then were much abused, and allowed to remain in his company but a very short time. In a letter written to a friend soon after the court sessions, he recounts some of the indignities to which he was subjected, and concludes, saying, Here I am committed to be a prisoner, but I am the Lord's free man, and I know assuredly that he will judge and avenge my cause upon my adversaries, and so I rest with confidence in him who will not leave nor forsake me, for whose sake I suffer bonds, the time of his good will and pleasure. But while those who wished to console and relieve him were abused and shut out, such as came to insult and scorn him were allowed free admission. These were even urged on by the jailer's wife, who manifested a very bitter spirit towards Parnell, often directing her man to beat him, and frequently beating him herself. Such was her enmity against this innocent and unresentful victim that she often swore she would have his blood or he should have hers. To which James Parnell would reply, Woman, I will have none of yours. Sometimes they refused to give him food. At others, they set the prisoners to steal the food when it was brought to him. Some of his friends provided a trundle bed for his use but they refused to allow him to have this accommodation, and he was forced to lie on the stones, which, in the wet season, would run down with water. At first, he was allowed a room, for which he paid four pence a night, but at length they would not allow him even this. The walls of the castle were exceedingly thick, with two rows of vaulted holes, and into one of these holes, which looked like a baker's oven, they put James Parnell. This hole was twelve feet from the ground, and the ladder that was given him was only six feet long, so that he was obliged to climb the remaining six feet by means of a rope. 
The jailer would not even permit him to use a basket and cord to draw up his food, but obliged him to fetch it on every occasion. From living in this miserable, cold, damp situation, his limbs grew numb, and on one occasion, while attempting to return to his hole, he missed his footing and fell to the ground, receiving so severe an injury that he was taken up as dead. But the unrelenting jailer knew no pity, and placed him in another little hole called the oven, lower down. Here there was no window or opening, and when the door was shut, he had scarcely any air or light. When he had recovered a little from this fall, he was still kept closely confined and not allowed to go out for air. On one occasion, the door of his hole was left open, and he walked out into the yard. But seeing this, the jailer locked him out all night in the extremity of winter. Amidst all this suffering, he was not unmindful of his friends, but... As Stephen Crisp has remarked, he labored for the building up of those who were convinced, and saw the desire of his soul concerning many, for he lived to see the seed which he had sown multiply and grow, much to his refreshment. Nor were his friends unmindful of him, but labored earnestly to obtain, if possible, a mitigation of his severe and cruel suffering, but all their efforts were in vain. Then it might have been said, as was said of the primitive members of Christ's church, see how these Christians love one another. For one of his friends, Thomas Shortland, offered to lie in prison, body for body, that Parnell might have liberty to go to a friend's house till he had recovered, promising that his body should be returned if he died. But this was refused, as well as a bond of forty pounds offered by two other friends. In this state of suffering and hardship, he lived about ten or eleven months, but after a time his constitution began to sink under it. It appears that towards the latter part of his imprisonment, two friends, Anne Langley and Thomas Shortland, were allowed to visit him. These were witnesses of his peaceful close, and that his faith remained unshaken to the end. He expressed to them his sense that he died innocently, and said, Now I must go. This death I must die. He further said, I have seen great things. His last moments appear to have been remarkably calm. He requested his friends not to hold him but to let him go, and then, saying, Now I go, he stretched himself out and fell into a sweet sleep, and having slept about an hour, breathed no more. Thus died one who, in the very morning of his days, had yielded his heart to the visitations of the Holy Spirit, and through faith, patience, and steady obedience, became a mighty instrument in the Lord's hand to gather many into the Redeemer's fold of true rest. He was buried in the castle yard, where the other prisoners were commonly buried, because the jailer refused to give up the body without fees. The malice of his enemies, however, did not terminate with his life, but in order to cover their own cruelty— and to detract, if possible, from the character of one whose life and death had been a reproach to themselves, both as men and especially as professing Christians. They industriously spread a report, by various means, that he had starved himself, because during the last ten days of his life he was unable to take any food, except occasionally a little milk and water. Such a report, of course, had no weight with the serious and reflecting part of the community, many of whom, besides friends, had been much interested in his sufferings and used efforts to obtain his liberation. James Parnell was the first friend who died in prison for his religion, 
and his death appears to have produced considerable sensation among those in power, who now profess to feel grieved that his case had not claimed more of their consideration before it was too late. It seemed better to me to recount the sufferings and death of this faithful servant of the Lord during his last imprisonment than to break the narrative by the interposition of other matter. It may now be well to retrace our steps a little and see how he was employed during his rigorous confinement. Men had the power to confine his body, but they could not limit nor control the operations of that spirit which wrought in him. His mind was active, amid outward sufferings and inconveniences, of a kind and amount which seemed to us not only such as might excuse much labor for the truth, but even almost to preclude the possibility of doing much. Yet his earnest spirit still remembered the Lord's heritage, and from his lonely and suffering cell he was concerned to address the newly convinced and to endeavor to build up, through various letters, those churches which had been gathered by his instrumentality, and to which he was no longer permitted to preach the word of life. And not only was his spirit concerned on behalf of believers, but also for the wicked, whom he exhorted to turn away from their evil ways, that they might not perish in the day of wrath and righteous retribution. Some of these papers, written from James Parnell's cell, will be interesting as well as instructive. Soon after he was recommitted to Colchester Castle, he wrote the following epistle. A few words to all my dear friends, in and about the county of Essex. All of you, my dear friends, you scattered and despised ones, whom the Lord, by his powerful word, is now gathering out of darkness into marvelous light, out of the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of his dear Son, you whom he is separating unto himself, to walk before him in holiness, that you might know him, and he might know you in the light of his countenance, you whose faces he has turned toward Zion, to seek after a land of rest to your wearied souls, which have been tossed to and fro from mountain to hill in this cloudy and dark day, seeking rest but finding none. Now has the day of beauty broken forth near you, even in you. Yes, the glad tidings have come unto your wearied souls, by which a pure love to the everlasting truth is begotten in you, which truth has been freely declared among you by the messengers of the Most High, who have reached the witness of God in your consciences, which does seal the same upon your hearts. He is your teacher, unto whom you must hearken and be obedient. Stand still in his light, and behold the work which the Lord has begun among us. Then you shall have no cause of discouragement, though the raging sea does rise and the raging waves do swell, as if they would swallow all up, yet it is limited by the unlimited one, and it shall but foam to its own shame. And as I had a time to preach the truth among you to the convincement of many, so now I have a time to seal the testimony with patient suffering in the bonds of the gospel, that you may see that we preach no other than what we are made able and willing to seal with patient suffering, yes, even with our blood, if we are called to it, as many of us have done in this nation, though this is called a land of liberty. Indeed, it is a land of liberty with respect to iniquity, but truth and equity are strangers in it, and therefore are persecuted. But you that are thought worthy to receive these strangers, happy are you. And though the raging Sodomites compass you about to cause you to cast out these strangers, 
that they may work their wills upon them. Yet be faithful, and fear them not, but cast out your darlings before them, and stand in the faith of the God of truth and equity. And you shall see the Sodomites struck with blindness, and they shall not be able to prevail against you. But when they are weary with striving, they shall be made to lie down in sorrow, and so shall it be fulfilled, which was prophesied of old, that no weapon formed against the faithful shall prosper. But woe to them who lift up the heel against them. Therefore I charge you all in the name of the God of truth, be faithful, valiant, and bold for the truth which you have received. And as you have received it, so walk in it, that you may profess no more in words than you possess in life. And the light may be preached forth in your lives and shine forth in your conduct to the glory of the Father of lights and the confounding of the heathen who profess God in words, but in life deny him. Be willing that self shall suffer for the truth and not the truth suffer for self. For the truth was ever sealed with persecution since Cain's generation was upon the earth. And so embrace the cross and despise the shame and give up to suffer for the truth received, all you who would follow the Lamb to the land of rest. Through many trials you will grow strong and bold and confident in your God, for God is not known as to what a God he is till the time of trial. All keep your meetings in the name and fear of the Lord God, waiting for his power in the obedience to his light, which in your consciences does reprove you when you do wrong. Wait in his light and watch over the foes that are of your own house, that you may know a warfare begun in your hearts against your spiritual enemies. Thus you will know the God of power himself manifest among you by his mighty power, bringing down all in you which opposes him and would not have him to reign over you and exalt his seed in your hearts and establish you in righteousness that you may bear his image so that he shall be your God and you shall be his people. So, in the unchangeable truth I rest in unity with all the faithful in the glorious liberty of the sons of God, though in outward bonds for your sakes. Known to all that can read me in spirit, James Parnell. To friends in Essex. Friends, to that gift of God in all your consciences I speak, which their witness is for God and is according to the mind of God and is placed in your hearts to be your teacher to teach you to do the will of God and how to walk according to the mind of God and to distinguish between truth and error and between the precious and the vile and between him that serves the Lord and him that serves him not. This teacher, the light of Christ, enlightens your understandings and lets you see the land of darkness where the house of bondage is, where the righteous seed lies oppressed and where the man of sin rules and death has dominion. This light is your guide out of the house of bondage and out of the land of darkness and out of death's dominion. It slays the man of sin and separates you from the children of darkness and leads you out from among them to seek after another kingdom, wherein is witnessed the perfect day where sorrow and sighing fly away. But then, you must come out of yourselves 
and deny your own wisdom and reason and whatsoever springs from self. For all of this is at enmity with the light and opposes, argues, and contends against it and by the light is condemned. If you hearken unto self, then you stumble in the way and many stumbling blocks lie before you and thorns and briars catch hold of you and your feet stick in the mire. There you toil in the bondage, and many hardships and impossibilities appear before you, with doubts, fears, questions, murmurings, and repinings. There unbelief arises in you, and many temptations betake you. Sometimes you are tempted to return and die in Egypt, and sometimes to long after the delights and flesh-pots of Egypt. Sometimes to think that God has utterly forsaken you, and sometimes to question the very truth of God, and to be ready to call it a lie. There, in self, is the wavering and unstable mind, and all this arises out of darkness where self stands. All comes by hearkening unto self. Therefore, keep your minds unto the light, the messenger of God, which brings the message of peace and the glad tidings of salvation. Keep close unto this, and know it alone to be your teacher, guide, and counselor, in all the way through which you are to pass, and in all things you are to do. Stand in denial of self, and know the light, which leads into singleness unto God, and out of all selfish ends. Then the light will remove all stumbling blocks, and lead you through the briars and thorns, and your feet shall not stick in the mire, but the crooked way shall be made straight, and the rough and hard way plain and easy. For in the light there is no occasion of stumbling, but it keeps your feet from erring and your tongues from evil speaking as you hearken to it. And when you are going to the right hand or to the left, it cries, This is the way, walk in it. This is the word within you, from which faith comes, which makes all things easy and possible. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. And faith is the gift of God, and so is this word of truth, from which faith springs. This will judge down all murmuring, doubting, and repining, and all carelessness, lightness, lustings, and earthliness, and condemn the ground from which all these things spring. And here, the ministration of condemnation is witnessed, which is glorious in its time, through which comes the ministration of peace, which exceeds the other in glory. But take heed of getting these things into the comprehension merely to talk of them. Let the time of silence and patience have its work, during which you must wait for the fulfilling of these things in you. Then you will be able to read these things within, and they will be made manifest in the life, which adorns and honors the truth, and so you will become vessels of honor." But this cannot be witnessed without faithfulness, for it is the willing and obedient that shall eat the good of the land. Isaiah 1.19 Therefore, friends, see that you stand in faithfulness to that which, in your measures, is made known unto you. For faithfulness is of great value. Faithfulness must be in secret and in public, knowing that all things are public to God who will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Therefore, he that is faithful over a little is approved of God and shall be made ruler over much. But he that is slothful 
is cast out, and that which he has is taken from him. These things you have read without, but now learn them within. Read yourselves in the light, and you will not be deceived, for by the light your hearts are searched, and by it all things are made manifest, by which you are either approved or disapproved unto God in all your words and actions. Therefore in this light set a watch over all your thoughts, words, and actions, that the righteous judge may be set up in your hearts, who condemns all deceit and iniquity, and establishes righteousness in the earth, and truth and equity in the inward parts, and cleanses the heart from evil. May this alone guide you, and be your spring of action in all your ways and doings, and then self will have no part. But all things will be done in the cross to self, in singleness unto God. Then he alone is glorified, and his fear and awe are placed in the heart, and the tongue is bridled, and the will curbed, and the heart cleansed, and kept clean. For it is that which goes out of the heart that defiles. Therefore I say unto you all, Watch, that the pure one may exercise your minds, who will crucify the carnal part, and mortify the deeds of the flesh, and establish purity in the heart, and bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, which is love in a pure life. Here you may come to live and walk and grow together in unity, in your measures, for that which separates from the unity is self, and causes love to grow cold. But if you abide in the love of God, self is denied. And where self is embraced, the love of God is denied. Here you find the enemy in your own house, against which you are to war, and in the light which discovers self is your power and strength. As you receive his light, you receive power to deny self in its many appearances, and this power reconciles your hearts one to another and brings you into a perfect friendship and unity which stands not in the will of man, but in the pure nature. This will be a cross to the worldly will, and the world will not bear it, for it breaks the world's fellowship, love, and friendship, all of which stand in the corrupt will of carnal men. From here come all the world's customs, fashions, and traditions, and all their worship and profession, and their persecution against you, who dwell in the pure nature. But look not out at what they can do to you, knowing that at most they can take the life of the body. But keep your eye to the Lord your God in all your sufferings, and count it your riches that you are found worthy to suffer for righteousness' sake. For it is through many trials and tribulations that you will come forth pure unto the Lord and strong in the faith. So, may the Lord God of power be with you, and by his mighty power keep you low and watchful in your conditions, that you may regard your eternal good above all things under the sun. May every one of you walk and grow in the truth which you have received, daily dying unto the things which perish, that you may come to dwell in the life of God, out of created things, and then the true use of them will be given to you, along with the pure wisdom, as it was in the beginning when man was in the right use of created things. Here paradise will indeed be found, but he that believes makes not haste, Isaiah 28.16, and by patient continuance in well-doing you will reap 
if you faint not. Dear friends, it is the love of God in me which speaks unto the seed in you that constrain me to write unto you and visit you with this epistle. Though my bodily presence is kept from you by the corrupt will of man, yet my spirit does not cease to cry on your behalf that the Lord, by his power, by which he has awakened you out of sleep and caused his witness to answer to his truth, would bless and prosper his happy work in your hearts to the bringing forth of his precious seed to rule and have dominion. May his glorious light shine forth in your conduct and his beauty appear in your image that the heathen may be ashamed and fear before the Lord your God. And here, my friends, is my comfort in the midst of bonds. Yes, if this body was to be sacrificed up, it would not abate my joy that I have in you in whom the work of God prospers. Therefore I charge you all in the name of the living God, whom you profess, to abide diligently and circumspectly in his fear, that you grieve not the Spirit of God, nor cause his holy name to be blasphemed, lest you add affliction to the bonds of the gospel. This from a friend, who is known in spirit, who for the innocent seed's sake suffers the bonds of the gospel. James Parnell from Colchester Castle, the 11th month, 1655. For my dear brother William Dewsbury in the common jail at Northampton. Dear and precious brother in the eternal, unchangeable truth of God, I do, in my measure, dearly salute you. You are blessed of the Lord, dear brother. Your fatherly care over me I do acknowledge, and your voice is a comfort to me. I am kept and nourished in the midst of my enemies. Glory be to God in the highest, who has counted me worthy to bear the bonds of the gospel. Dear brother, I am glad to hear from you, and of my dear brother Thomas Stubbs with you, whom I love in the Lord, and the rest of my fellow prisoners. The Lord has set you a father over them. I know your burden is great, for the work lies upon you, but your joy is in your children. Truly, there is a great appearance in these parts, but there is much need of a minister since I was cast in bonds. But I had good liberty among them before they were permitted to lay hold of me. And great was the work of the Lord, and it spread very much to my great comfort. And now these bonds have been very serviceable to the piercing of the hearts of many and the discovery of the spirit of my persecutors and to the confirming of those in the truth that were convinced. They have labored to make my bonds grievous, but my strength the Philistines know not. Friends are much barred from visiting me, yet not all. Our tender sister, M.S., is here in bonds in the town prison. She was put in last evening for speaking to a priest. She has been in twice before this within a week, but they had no power to keep her in. So may the same power that keeps you keep me, and let your prayers be for me. I rest with you in the brotherly unity, your tender brother, James Parnell. Colchester Castle, 16th of 12th month, 1655. An Epistle to Friends All you friends of the light, though we who are your ministers and messengers of light be cast into prisons, holes, and dungeons, and are kept there by the devilish corrupted will of man, and it be allowed by God, the Father of light, for the fulfilling of the scriptures upon that generation, which was prophesied of by the ministers and messengers of light in the days of old, who suffered in the same nature, by the same generation, for the same testimony. 
And though the Lord yet allows the same generation to act in this nature against us and fill up their measure of wrath, it is for the manifestation of his truth and exaltation of his name and power. Through all this are we known and made manifest unto you who are in the light, and even the unbelievers come to know and confess that he is greater that is with us than all they that can rise up against us. And in all this we do rejoice, and through our sufferings we are crowned, and get the victory over the world without, as well as the world within. And though we are kept in prison, yet it is for the Lord's appointed time. Therefore, friends, keep your eye to the Lord in all these things, and look not out at man, nor at what man can do, either for or against us. Keep your eye to God in all his works, and in all his instruments, and there will be no cause for discouragement. For discouragement and fears, doubts and questionings spring from the carnal mind. But there is an eternal witness in all your consciences, which, by the word of power, is awakened in you. By this we are known, by it we are acknowledged, and by it we are witnessed and received into your hearts, wherein our unity stands with you, who are faithful unto it, and by it we are remembered, though far absent in body. And this witness we also have in the men of the world, though they do not receive it, nor like to retain it in their minds. For this reason they do not receive us, but as this witness lies slain in them, therefore they strive to slay us. And indeed, this is their condemnation, which will witness unto God against them out of their own mouths. And thus we are made a sweet savor unto God, both in you that believe and in them that perish. Therefore, you that do believe, take heed unto this witness and mind its answer in your conscience, that it may exercise your consciences in unity with God, that you may be kept in the sense of it and be taught and guided by it into the cross to your own wills, that the will of God may guide you and not your own will. Then will the living witness be raised up in you to live and rejoice and be your head, and that which has been your head may be bruised. In this way, friends, your hearts will come to be established and confirmed in the unchangeable truth unto which you are called, that you may be the children of truth. So, all you who acknowledge this voice, keep close to the witness in your own minds and consciences, that you may feed upon the living substance at the table of the Lord, and there partake of the union and communion of saints. As every one of you dwell in your own measures, the things of God will come to be cleared up to you, and the shadows will vanish away. Keep at home, everyone, in your tents, and let the candle stand upon the candlestick, that the whole house may be enlightened. Lest the thief get in at a secret corner and trouble you and rob you and cast a veil over your light. While you have the light, abide in it, and in it you will see more light to sweep clean within and search every corner and permit not an enemy to remain in the house. Cast out that which has been in your bosom and let the lamb be there who has said, He that loves anything better than me is not worthy of me. So bring all unto the light, and woe unto him that hides from the light, for the day will make him manifest. O oh, rest not above the life, nor feed upon anything below it, 
follow the light, which leads your minds unto the sun. For in him is peace, yes, true peace, which cannot be broken. He is the bond of peace. If you abide in him, he will abide in you, and you shall bring forth fruit plentifully. He will refresh you with the heavenly dew, and you shall flourish as in a summer's day, yes, as plants of righteousness. But the spring comes first. Oh, how pleasant and beautiful is the spring in a barren field, where barrenness and deadness fly away. As the spring comes on, the winter sheds her coat, and the summer is nigh. Oh, wait to see and read these things within. You that have been barren and dead and dry, without sap, unto you the sun of righteousness is risen with healing in his wings and begins to shine in your coasts. For this is the day wherein the Lord has come to visit you. Yes, to you who have long sat in darkness, now light has sprung. O oh, mind the secret spring, mind the tender plants. Now you are called to tend and keep the garden. Let not the weeds and wild plants remain. Peevishness is a weed. Anger is a weed. Self-love and self-will are weeds. Pride is a wild plant. Covetousness is a wild plant. Lightness and vanity are wild plants. And lust is the root of all. These things have had room in your garden and have been tall and strong. And truth, innocency, and equity have been left and could not be found until the Son of Righteousness arose and searched out that which was lost and brought back that which was driven away. Therefore, do not stand idle, but come into the vineyard and work. Your work shall be to watch and keep out the fowls of the air, the unclean beasts, the wild bears, and the subtle foxes. And he that is the husbandman will pluck up the wild plants and weeds and make a defense around the vines. He will tell you what to do. He who is father of the vineyard will be near you. Now, read within, or you will stumble. And whatever is not clear to you, wait for it, knowing he that believes makes not haste. But you who are covered with fig leaves only, the sun will search you. You must come to the fall of the leaf, and to the time of deadness and winter, before the life will appear, and the living springs be opened. You must cast off your own garments, and then the sun will clothe you, but not before you are made naked. For truly, shame must come upon all flesh, and you must not have even an apron of fig leaves to cover your nakedness. James Parnell this epistle has no date, but there is no doubt it was written from Colchester Castle. The following letter bears the latest date of any of James Parnell's writings, as far as I have been able to discover. It was written about five months from the time of his first imprisonment, but as there were many letters written by him during his confinement in Colchester Castle which have not been preserved, it is probably not the last he wrote. It is addressed to my dear friends, brethren and sisters, in the city of London. To you, translated ones, my love from the life does flow. To you that are translated and renewed in heart and mind, you that are separated and redeemed from among the children of this world and the pollutions and abominations that they live in, in whom the works of the new creation 
wherein righteousness dwells, are established. To you, who are beautiful within, who are adorned within, who are purified and cleansed within by the precious blood of the Lamb, with whom you are crucified, who are in him, who have put on the wedding garment, and are admitted to the table of the Lord, and are partakers of the holy union. O you blessed of the Lord, you babes and children of the Most High, who dwells in purity and reigns in majesty, who has established and set up his throne in your hearts. In you is my joy and great delight. Yes, I remember when you were tender and just springing up, but now, by waiting upon the Lord, you have renewed your strength, and my joy is made full in you, and you are made precious in my sight. You indeed have become inward Jews of the heart circumcision, redeemed from kindred, tongues, languages, and people, who have come to the heavenly Jerusalem, there to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He has chosen you to bear his holy image, which has been so much defaced in the world, and in you to exalt and glorify his holy name among the heathen and those who do not know him in this day, wherein he is visiting the earth with judgment and with mercy and with mighty power to call to an account the inhabitants of the earth. Blessed are you who have hearkened unto his voice, for you shall sing and rejoice when others shall weep and mourn and howl. Though your portions now among them be suffering, scorning, mocking, deriding, backbiting, reviling, persecution, stripes, and imprisonments, yet have you learned to count these things as riches, who know the Comforter within you, and your Redeemer to live with you. I do rejoice in all these things, being now made a partaker of them. Oh, how do I long to see your faces, but in that I am restrained for a time." My life is bound up in many of your hearts, which makes it so that I cannot forget you, though my body is kept in straight bonds. But the bonds will be broken by him who is my only keeper and supporter when he has perfected his praise in them. Oh, you simple doves, who sit without deceit in your mouths! Oh, how I am ravished with the love of you when I behold you in spirit! You that have given yourselves up unto death— to the famine, to the sword, and to the fire, and have patiently submitted unto the Father's will, and willingly sacrificed up your precious things. Your faith is unto you imputed for righteousness, and the God in whom you have trusted and believed will make you rich in him, and give you substance incorruptible, and an inheritance that never fades away. In measure you can set your seals to what is now written unto you. But some have listened to the evil spirit, which has brought evil tidings of the good land. Such have turned back to Egypt, and joined with its magicians to harden Pharaoh's heart against the innocent, and filled the mouths of the heathen with blasphemous speeches. But let them go on. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. For the Lord comes quickly, whose reward is with him, to give unto all according to their doings, but all things work together for the good of you, who stand in the faith, who are not moved with the winds that blow, nor the storms that come against you, who keep your eye to the hand of providence in all these things. This brings good out of evil to all who abide in the truth and do not stray. So, as you have tasted, felt, known, and experienced him, so trust in him 
and remain in your sure confidence which is begotten in you by his word. Be as lights in the dark world, both by word and conduct, that in all things you may be approved by the Father's Spirit in your consciences as faithful and obedient children, every one in your calling wherein you are called, that you may obtain the prize in the end of your race. Oh, lift up your heads and look up to the Father, and see how he has been tender to you, and how his love has been offered to you all along, who has not left you without instructors and nursing fathers, who have watched over you with tender care. In much love and tenderness I am drawn forth towards you, little ones, who spring from the root of the vine, because you bear my Father's image. Long have I waited to write to you, and lately I had an opening of you, which caused me to visit you with this epistle, for you have oftentimes been in my remembrance, though I could not write. And now you must read me in that love which tongue cannot express, and in that epistle which is written in your hearts, without either paper or ink, by the immortal word of life, and there you will know my name. So the Lord God Almighty, the Keeper of Israel, overshadow you, and may he keep you pure and innocent in his holy presence, that you may show forth his praise in the earth and shine as the sons and daughters of Zion. I commit you into his blessed protection and do lie down with you, who am a sufferer in outward bonds by the will of men for the innocent seed's sake, but am at liberty with the faithful. James Parnell Written from Colchester Castle, the 12th of first month, 1656 These letters bear a precious stamp, which evidences the writer to have been a true child of God through Jesus Christ. We cannot doubt, as was remarked by Thomas Bales respecting him, that he was hated and persecuted for righteousness' sake and for testifying against the gross hypocrisies of that day. The cruel, bitter, and unrelenting spirit of persecution which his enemies manifested and so long exercised towards him too clearly shows that they were children of that Babylon of whom it was prophesied that she would be made drunk with the blood of the Lord's children. The entire dedication of James Parnell to the Lord's service, his meekness under wrong, his patience under suffering and insult, the steadfast integrity of his heart through a long period, not of suffering only, but of bitter mocking and subjection to the taunting and jesting of wicked men, his fervent love of the brethren while he was in bonds, and the tender breathing of his very soul that they might, through obedience to the light received, come to know God and his Son truly, and ever dwell under the protecting wing of infinite love. All of this manifests that he was a man redeemed from the world, and affords the strongest assurance that, through much tribulation, he has entered into the kingdom of heaven and is now wearing the crown promised to all those who are faithful unto death. Appendix About Colchester Castle, the place of James Parnell's imprisonment and death. The following particulars respecting Colchester Castle, abridged from an account kindly supplied by a friend of Colchester, will not be uninteresting to the reader. The present castle at Colchester is so evidently Roman that there cannot be a doubt of its having been erected after the conquest, when fortresses were built in the most considerable towns of England, with a view to a more complete subjugation of the inhabitants. It was for many years in the possession of the crown, 
and afterwards passed through several private hands, one of whom attempted to pull it down for its materials, but the cement of the walls appeared to be of such strength and solidity that the sale of the materials was not likely to pay the expenses, so it was left standing, although much defaced. It is now much obscured by surrounding houses, and would escape the notice of a passing traveler who may be ignorant of its locality. The structure is square, and flanked at the angles by strong and once lofty towers. It occupies a surface of more than half an acre. Its walls are nearly twelve feet thick at the basement, and eleven in the upper story. In the western wall there are two rolls of singular cells or niches, which look as if they have been scooped out of the wall. They are about ten feet high, four feet wide, and three feet deep. These, perhaps, were formerly built up in front and might have been used as solitary dungeons. There can be no doubt, I think, that it was one of these cells which formed the last dwelling place of James Parnell. It appears from William Sewell that he had visited the castle, probably with the express view of seeing the hole in which this innocent sufferer was confined. He describes the cells, as they are mentioned above, as two rows of vaulted holes. At the time of his visit, the memory of James Parnell must have been still fresh, so that his testimony is almost as valuable as that of a living witness. The dimensions of the cell were so small as scarcely to have permitted James Parnell, though of a very small size, ever to extend himself to full length. His stretched arms might probably touch the opposite walls in every direction. This will give us some idea of the misery and discomfort of his outward situation but we have abundant and encouraging evidence that, in this lonely cell, he enjoyed the comfort and support of his Savior's presence, and, like Paul and Silas, had a song of praise put into his mouth in the midst of his enemies. The End